Welcome to Twig number 202. We've got a full house today. We've got myself, Eric Super. We've got uh, Eric Press. Uh, we've got Laura and we've got Ethan. How's everyone Hello. doing? Hello. Oh my God. You're back, Eric. <laughs> it's been too long, dude. I'm back. I missed your shiny face. You want to hear about this trip I did? So listen to this. Listen to this. So I, it's, you know, I'm, it's hard to leave your significant other with the kids, right? I've got one kid. We've got a, a pug, two, two kids, one and a half. It's hard to do it, right? So when I plan my trips, I try to minimize time away, right? I try to make it as short as possible. A cannonball run, right? And, I, you know, look, I'll, I'll take the sacrifice. I'll take the hit. I fly to Israel. I went to this Israel. I went to, um, I went to Iron Source's App Fest uh, show last week. It was excellent. I recommend everyone uh, make the trip next year if they can. I gave a talk. They invited me to come speak. So I flew out Sunday and returned Thursday to Israel. So landed Monday, left Wednesday night. So I was in how Israel much, for two nights. How much falafel did you eat? Uh, I didn't eat any falafel. I, oh my I, was, god! Wasted trip. Wasted it, it was trip. A, well, it was a quick. It was a quick trip, right? So I come home, having made this sacrifice, and I've you know this is this is hard on my body. This is hard mentally. Having made the sacrifice, my wife turns around, and she goes on a week long business trip. No, way. a week long. A week long. What? What are you doing for a week? Where are you going? What do you need to do? And so I'm home solo parenting after doing the cannonball run, making this sacrifice. And my wife turns around and takes a week-long business trip. Nice. Nice, anyway, dude. That's me. That's me. Just desserts, dude. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Recent changes in the app stores are boon to mobile game developers. Now you can sell in-game items and currencies with big savings on transaction fees. And Exola just added three new features to their web shop for mobile game solution to help you level up your monetization practices outside the app stores. The three solutions are subscriptions, analytics, and promotions. Now, subscriptions are a smart add to your mobile revenue strategy. They boost game revenue with predictability while maintaining a lawyer user base. Analytics give you data, and data has become fuel on which modern society runs. If you don't know your players, you won't know what they want or how to get them to click that buy button. Analyze your data so you can create critical piece of the purchasing puzzle. Finally, promotions allow you to easily reach out to opt-in players via email or Discord and other channels to bring them to your web shop on your website. You'll be able to generate new sales and keep more profit. To find how to get started, visit exola.com. 
pro slash mobile or go to the link in this podcast description um what else is happening uh laura is now officially moved in right it seems to seattle oh no sorry my background is my london flat what i thought you were a home <laughs> i'm uh, almost. Oh. I'm, I'm back in London for two weeks. And this is this is the final stage of the goodbye tour, wrapping things up here, and then over permanently in, in two weeks. Oh wow! Gotcha. Yeah. Um, my only update on a personal level is, uh, and it's not actually a personal level. I am plowing through this metaverse book. Of course, I had to get a book on tape <laughs> because I couldn't read it. I, I, I just can't read books. I mean, I, I think hopefully when I get older, like my, my ability to read books improves. But so I'm, I'm plowing through the book on tape. I'm almost done, actually. Um, right. And Paul so, right. I, yeah, so I, will, uh, get, I will actually, I think I'm going to talk about it next week. But so far, same thing as I said last week. He's great at articulating all the problems of getting to the metaverse and what's going to be required, but really has no information about from how we get from here to there, right? This Herculean leap in technology, bandwidth, and uh, processing power. So we will see what happens. Um, any other updates? I'll, I'll pump. I'll pump my interview with with Matt. So I did. I interviewed him right before his book came out on Mobile Dev Memo. Matt's great. He's one of my favorite just thinkers. I just love the way that he thinks and and frames the world. But um, yeah, I interviewed him right before the book came out, and uh, I, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good. Uh, it was a very. It was a very well. Well thought out and well researched treatment. Okay. Well, we'll let's talk about it next week more completely. Um, other updates uh, for me. Uh, let's see. So the Logitech handheld device. Um, so basically they're creating a device that is an Android-based machine that can do streaming, which triggers me in, in multiple ways. Um, but... Uh, you know, the, the device is actually pretty cool looking, I have to admit. But dude, it's 350 fucking dollars, right? It's a fucking shitty Android device that can like stream stuff. It's like it's it's ridiculous. Like how expensive something like this is. It's like it's like a fever dream of like New Zoo and a 12-year-old, you know? Like it's the dumbest, kind of the dumbest idea ever, because you could buy a console for 400 bucks, right? Or buy a Steam Deck, right? Which is actually a PC that can run shit, right? which is a couple hundred, maybe a hundred dollars more. Um, so I, I, it's just crazy, right? And I get it from NVIDIA's perspective and maybe they're subsidizing this thing because they want proof of tech, proof of tech, uh, the proof of technology, uh, proof of concept maybe. But uh, this thing is gonna bomb, right? It's just too expensive, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm actually like in the target market for this. Uh, I'm the type of person who, you know, frequently thinks like, oh, I should just stop buying games and get a Game Pass subscription and play it on Steam Deck and uh I'm I'm tempted to pre-order but I I can feel that this one doesn't seem to have like the Steam Deck is so good and I've enjoyed it so much and it's actually made PC gaming my number one console again. I haven't been buying Steam games for years and now my attach rate is like through the roof. And so hopefully I can stop buying games and just start streaming Game Pass games on the Steam Deck but it, this is a really hard comp between the two, and when I've got my Switch and my Steam Deck, I just can't. I know I'm in the target market, and I'm like, why would I buy this other than to just spend money and make myself feel good for a minute? 
And just to be clear, I think Ethan is a very rare bird in terms of. <laughs> no, Steve Deck is the, killing it. Steam, I'm not alone. No, 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 it's not. It's not killing it. Believe, believe me, it's not killing it. I think Steve Deck <laughs> is a cool idea, but it's not a good device. Nothing is optimized for this stupid fucking platform, right? The, the, and it's the limitations they can't of sell enough of them. No, that's okay. Fine, limited. <laughs> it's gonna. It's a. It's not. It's a proof of concept more than anything. All right. The next thing I'm moving on. Iron uh, Iron Man game is not that interesting, but EA is working on Iron Man game. The only reason that this is interesting is because EA has been trying to find an action adventure game for like 25 years, right? So the, the Star Wars game is one thing that's actually relatively close, but. Iron Man would actually be a really interesting game that they're doing out of, um, um, dang it, I forgot the name of the Motive. Studio. Motive. Oh, I have it written here. Yeah, Motive. So we'll see if how that works, but that, that could be cool. Um, it's actually a pretty good uh, hero. So you that. think Iron Man is trying to fill the hole that Dante's Inferno once tried to exactly. fill? Exactly. Exactly. Dante's Inferno. Wow, I mean, how do you know that game? Spider, Spider-Man from Insomniac is like the best God of War type open world game there is. So I could I could see it. I'd play a Iron Man style you know, action adventure. I, I hope this is great. This is, but this I'm telling great. you, they've been on a quest for this for like 25 fucking years. You know, it's so like, let's hope that this works. Um, oh, as expected, the GTA Sig 6 leaker or hacker has been arrested. He's a 17-year-old kid in London. And I, I'm so sorry for him and his family because he's going to get absolutely just rat-fucked. Um, but uh, so evidently, you know, it's, he's part of a, of a bigger group that is has been targeting lots of different organizations, including Uber. So, you know, sorry, you're, you're, you're in, in huge trouble. <laughs> How do, how do these kids? How do these kids? How are these kids able to perpetrate these hacks? It seems like unbelievable. Where do they learn this stuff? Don't, don't you think this was just a social engineering hack onto somebody's Slack? Like all you need is one person's Slack access to get to a right. channel that has a bunch of in development videos in it. Okay. Oh, okay. So I, all right. I didn't. Okay. Fair enough. Oh, that's right. Because they shut the whole Slack. That's right. I heard they shut the whole company wide Slack down. All of Take Two yeah. and all of the uh, portfolio companies or whatever subsidiaries had to shut the Slack down. Okay, so they just yeah. people you, are the weak link you, always. Yeah, but whenever you hear about these hacks, it's always like a kid. It's always like yeah. a sixteen-year-old kid. Like I said last week, I think it's just people with a lot of fucking time, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that are like that are they're just basically brute forcing, like trying to get passwords and stuff out of out of, out of employees, right? These are not like sophisticated, like let's get in there with like insane code like the movies dude these are people like just try to spoof shit you know um but uh but anyway this group is actually pretty prolific you know they've gone after samsung microsoft nvidia evidently and his uh his code name was teapot tuber hacker so uh anyway very not not very not very subtle not very subtle it's right there in the name No. What it so, I, so we'll, I, we'll see. But I, I missed so speaking of the, the videos, I, I wasn't on the show when that happened. What did you what did you all think of the videos? Because I feel like that game doesn't oh. look anywhere close to being done, right? I think I, I think it's early, right? And I mean, the estimated time that this thing is coming out is in two years. I think that that still that that timeline makes sense to some degree. Um, and we don't know how early this footage was, but. Sure. Uh, but what we said last week, which would what happened is like the uh, like the guys who made Horizon put out a, a clip that was like six months old before the launch, and it was like you know dinosaurs with big you know blocks head blockheads and stuff like that. So 
I think it's like typical on the, on the development side to be like this. So okay. we'll see. I have a quick update on Netflix. They are um, they've been they've been keeping their name in the news, if nothing else, uh, and now they're planning to launch a new studio in Finland. So Marco Lastica is serving as the studio director. He has a great pedigree, 19 years, worked at Digital Chocolate, EA, was um, was the VP and general general manager for Zynga. He was part. He worked on the Farmville Three game. Um, my my take is um, so Netflix again has been in the, has been coming up a lot. I'm wondering what their strategy is here. So they're they're setting themselves up to bring a lot of games to the platform. They're focusing on the stu- all the studios they've acquired and the people they're bringing in have tons of free to play experience. Even though they're not planning to make IEP based games, as far as we know now, I did a little just googling, and Netflix now has f- at least four internal gaming studios. I don't. I don't have any any connections there, any access to how they're orged. But I looked at what they've you know what they've uh, acquired so far. So they have Night School Studio, um, which is about which was 10, 15 to twenty people. They acquired Next Games, which was maybe around seventy ish. Again, these are like estimations. Boss Fight Entertainment. They did a free to play Dungeon Boss. The free to play Dungeon Boss game is about one hundred thirty people, and now this new studio. And they have the Ubisoft deal going on. Let's say they're now like 250 to 300 people in games. That's actually, a, that's quite a big, that's, that's, you're now, they're now a big like games developer, not just the streaming, not just the streaming giant they are. And you could actually, you, know, you could make at least eight to 10 free to play games with like an average content pipeline, you know, an average team size. My question is, you know, they're going out, they're buying all these, they're acquiring these studios, they're looking for really good people. How are they going to be focusing these teams? Because what they do is going to be the is the is going to be the main thing towards their success. Are they going to these people that they're bringing on? Are they going to operate as they did pre-acquisition, or is there going to be some sort of portfolio strategy upcoming? Because right now, at least for external games on Netflix, they're a little bit random. Um, they'll have to. This is in addition to the internal bets they're taking. So are they going to, what's what's the level of coordination between the internal and ex- external studios? Is there going to be any? Um, otherwise, I, I can imagine this is going to get too difficult to maintain or understand and keep track of what's being built uh, being built by the business and why. Um, if it hasn't happened already, I can see... I can see area. I can see a scenario where they decide to start focusing either groups on specific types of content or specific types of games. But I, I'm I'm curious as to if they're going to reveal any of that because I think at some point they're going to have to take that approach. And the only other thing I can think of is like if if they're not going to do IAP, Netflix has been talking about this ads tier. They're going to have to look at in-app um, in-app game uh, in-app ads for these games for sure and then th- then it starts to make sense why they're going for all these free to play because these people are going to have experience working with integrating ads into um, into games and then that that would make a lot of sense to me any other any other thoughts Eric? yeah yeah i think so first of all uh congrats to marco former colleague of mine we worked together at digital chocolate he's like he's the uh he's he's the go-to um first boots on the ground in Helsinki for like a, a company that wants to establish a studio there. So EA hired him to build out the EA studio there. He built it into a big successful studio. They made the Sims mobile. Then Zynga poached him to set up the Zynga studio there. They built uh, Farmville three and now Netflix. Congratulations to him. Um, he's a nice guy. Um, you know, could, very, very happy for his success. Um, 
I, I, so I, there's no way, given, given the investment, right? First of all, it's really interesting that they've got Next Games in Helsinki and now they're building another studio there, right? Which is funny because that's exactly what Zynga did. They acquired Small Giant and they built a, a studio there to make games as well. It's just, I, I just find that kind of strange. Um, but I can't imagine that they're making this level of investment and in buying all these studios and building studios now, which is not cheap. Um, if they're going to continue the same strategy they have now, which is just, hey, games are a value add. Uh, guess what? Not only do you get all the streaming content with your subscription, but you get a bunch of games in the app store. You got to go find, you know, we're, we're going to link you to them, but you got to go and then download them um, and, and then log in, right? That just doesn't seem like it's going to, uh, you know, that, that's not going to uh, justify the, the, uh, the investment. My sense is either they try to bundle all this together in app um, and maybe these new games are just in app Netflix gaming experiences and they can say, look, Roblox can do it. You can't tell us we can't. What they're doing, by the way, what they're doing now basically is a violation of app store guidelines. Like they have content that you can't access unless you log in to a service that is external to that particular piece of content, right? No other, no other company could get away with this. Netflix can because they're so big, right? I made a point before that they're too big to fail. They're too big to let fail. Apple can't punish them for this. They have to let them get away with this behavior. Because if anybody else did this, they published games that you had to have an account for another service to access. That would get kicked out of the App Store. That, that's what happened with Hey, right? Now, what people have defended Netflix's behavior uh, or, or justified it with is by saying, well, look, there's a rule. It's the cross-platform rule. If you have cl- cross-platform content, you can gate that with a, a login because, you know, if I can go and log into Netflix on my, on my desktop computer or on my smart TV, it's fine if I need the login for the app too. Yeah, that's fine, but the games only exist on mobile. That'd be fine for the core Netflix app, but not for the mobile games, which only exist on mobile, right? So you can't, that's, that's unprecedented that you actually take that subscription and you abstract that to other content that is mobile only that you're publishing in the app stores, right? Apple's letting them get away with it because it's Netflix. So, but I don't think that's tenable long-term. Right, because it's such a blatant violation, and you wouldn't want to invite other people to do that. My sense is either they try to they start making content that they bundle into the core Netflix app, and they said, "Look, it's just like Roblox. It's streaming. It's streaming. Netflix, uh, Roblox, Roblox are experiences. They're not games. These are streaming experiences. They're not games in the Netflix app. They just happen to be made by a game team, right? Maybe they do that, or which is uh, you know another argument I made a while back in a piece. They make all this stuff free to play, and then they have their ad network servicing it." Right, because they are, they they've got the Microsoft deal, and Microsoft is servicing all of the um, in Netflix ad placements. But that to me seems like a short term solution. I think Net, uh, Microsoft gave them a, a really nice minimum guarantee, and they're going to do that for two years while they build out their own internal ad tech. And then they've got all these games that are out there in the app store. They're all free to play, and then Netflix is servicing the ads in those, and it becomes more of like an advertising play and potentially a cross promo play back in the core Netflix app. But I don't think the current strategy is something that they can uh, that they can continue to execute, and and, and I, I, I don't think for, for the App Store guidelines reason, and just for the fact that I don't think it makes sense and it doesn't justify the the investment they're making here. I I have an alternate take on it. Um, you know, I I read uh, all the investor call comments when they first started talking about Netflix games, and I wrote about it on the blog. Um, and I think that what their strategy is, is um, their long-term goal is to stay relevant with younger generations and decrease churn. Give a reason to decrease churn. Um, 
and that 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 their financial success can be measured in keeping people uh, subscribed. Um, and so why I think they're uh, bringing on all these IAP, all these live service and free-to-play people is because they've recognized through their experiments, you know, they've been very honest that they're going to have years and years of many different types of experiments. So their current kind of Apple Arcade-style experiments have probably proved to them that sequential releases of premium games do not have any retention effect. So what they're probably looking at doing is something on the order of saying, hey, we've got the Gray Man, we've got Extraction, we've got Old Guard, we've got Money Heist, right? We've got IPs. Let's build some free-to-play style live service shooters and try and steal time and attention and mindshare from Fortnite, Call of Duty, Garena at all, right? They're fighting for relevance and subscription retention among uh, the next generation of Netflix users. That, I think, is the investment that they're making, and it has nothing to do with direct revenue generation. I, so I, I hear you, and I thought about that, right? But their IPs are not valuable. Disney well, yeah, that's, has all the valuable IPs. So I, you, those, those that's that's you the uh, uh, argument I made if you go back to my original Deconstructor of Fun piece, is that they don't have well, the IPs right. yet to justify... Uh, live you're service games. You're, you're hedging your bets here, man. But, but all those those movies you mentioned, I've seen all of them. You reminded me that they existed. I've, I just watched Gray Man like two weeks ago. I completely forgot about it. Extraction, <laughs> completely forgot about it. I mean, this was cool to watch while I surfed Twitter. But these are not uh, flagship IPs, right? And I don't I don't know that they actually reinforce uh, you know the sort of like brand loyalty or the resonance as a result of like just branding more stuff with these IPs that are completely forgettable, right? I think that's the problem. Like their content approach was make stuff that you can have on in the background while you doom scroll on Twitter or you do your shopping on, you know, whatever, Instacart. It's not stuff that you're meant to be fixated on and fully engulfed in. It's not Disney. Disney's content approach is totally different. And then if you see the pricing strategies that they've taken, it, that's, it's supported, that, that, that notion of like the sort of, uh, content focus is supported. Disney's increasing the price, and the ad-supported tier is the price of the old premium tier. Netflix uh, is making the ad-supported price cheaper, right? Because you can't. You can't charge a premium for the kind of, I don't want to say generic, uh, but it's commodity content. That's what that's That's been their core content strategy. Yeah, and I, I just, the only comment I'll make is, again, I am, as I've said many times, I'm fascinated with what these guys are going to actually do because they almost have unlimited budget to like do experiments in the space. And so I think what I was hoping to see was more premium stuff. But right now, what I worry about um, from what Ethan's like kind of suggesting is that they're not hiring the right people to make the next Fortnite, right? Or, you know, some kind of competitive shooter <laughs> with Call of Duty. It's ridiculous, right? The amount of people in the bodies and the type of people that you need is a completely different group, you know. Um, and those those type of teams are impossible to build. Not impossible, almost impossible to build. But the amount of money that Netflix is throwing around to people right now is insane. Like the money, uh, the, the the comp, it, it, it is it is mind boggling. It is like in some cases double what normal people would they would normally make at any other gaming company. So, you know. It, I don't know. In my mind, I think they have unlimited budget to do whatever they can in order to like um, um, increase uh, uh, retention amongst their their platform. But 
so far what I see is they're building mobile games, and I don't I don't know if that that's going to do it. And I agree with the, the with Eric is like the most valuable IP is some of the stuff that they've licensed as opposed to the stuff that they make. Well, they lost it too. I mean, they lost all the valuable IP when the streaming wars, you know, really heated up. Yeah, right, right, right. All the Disney stuff. I thought that was that stuff was really good, but yeah. So we'll see. I, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated yeah. by what they're going to do. So I we know the VP of corporate strategy or the corporate strategy guy. We, we, I work with him at Kabam, so I, I got to call him, see what's going on. Yeah, get some get him, insights. Team team up for an interview. Um, all right. Uh, since Mr. Telfer, that'd, that'd, that'd be a fascinating interview, by the way. That would yeah. be a really good interview. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, since Mr. Telfer isn't here to tell me to keep my crypto shit to the end of the podcast, one quick um, and very important crypto story. Apple enables NFT sales with a 30% tariff catch. This is from pocketgamer.biz. Um, a quick quote, the promised inclusion of NFT purchases on Apple's iOS App Store applications has caused many to question whether these are even viable for sellers. The 30% cut alongside gas fees and other costs naturally incurred by blockchain tech, coupled with NFTs dropping value across the board may make it more costly than it's worth. Um, I think that this is a um, not a great quote. It doesn't. This quote to me um, ignores that the thirty percent cut is the same thirty percent cut Apple takes on IAP, uh, same as Google, and that there are many thriving businesses built on their platforms. Right. This is the equivalent of saying the thirty percent revenue cut from IAP purchases, combined with the high cost of AWS or similar streaming uh, service solutions at scale and widespread gamer pushback on IAP cause us to question if running a free-to-play game on iOS is even worth it. And like, clearly there are many billion dollar plus IAP games on, on uh, iOS and Android. Um, so these are the same conditions as if you want to run an IAP game. Uh, if you want mobile scale, ease of payment with a variety of pay methods, trust, safety, and ease of use of the platform, this is the cost. This is the cost of operating on Apple. And I've done free-to-play web games. I've done free-to-play mobile web games. I've done free-to-play mobile games. And I can tell you that people are a lot more willing to convert to Spender on games from the App Store or the Play Store than any of these other services. So... You know, I I believe that this isn't apocalyptic for NFT gaming. In fact, it's positive because we have like clarity now on what the platform requires, and what they require is the same cut they get from IAP, which means we can still build successful businesses on their platforms that use uh, NFT. Well, so so two. Uh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I've I've invoked the anger of the Erics. Bring it. <laughs> One question, Ethan, for from from my understanding. So, just I'm curious to compare the gas fees with the AWS. Is are they actually similar? In my head, when you said that, I'm thinking the gas fees are a lot higher than AWS. Well, there's there's a, I mean, it depends on what chain you're on. Um, it depends on whether you're paying the gas fees or the player is. But I've done ten Ethereum network gas fees in the past two weeks that are all sub a dollar, right? But um, and like, if you're on Immutable X, for instance, um, you, the developer can eat the gas fees and the gas fees are extremely low because of proof of stake. So actually, um, there are many different, you know, there's not a one size fits all solution. And like, look, if you have a big successful game with a lot of players, like your AWS bill or your Azure bill can be monumental. And so I, I think it's just, 
it's the same. It's it's server costs, and especially with Ethereum having successfully moved to proof of stake, you know, um, and there being a lot of different blockchains. Like I don't think uh, it, it, the 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 friction of gas fees is only going down over time. Okay, I, actually, I don't disagree with what you're saying fundamentally, right? I think like the fact that Apple has somewhat come come to terms with the fact that they're going to have to figure figure this stuff out on their platform or other. But the whole fucking point of blockchain and and crypto is to be decentralized and avoid all this shit, right? That is the promise of what everyone's been talking about for like the last three years. And now, oh yeah, it's fine. Let's just take fucking Apple's going to take thirty percent. You know, it's like no, that's not the point. The whole like promise is 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 about being free of platforms, being free of tariffs, being free of right. regulation, right? And now, oh yeah, what's the 30% is fine, right? That's well, fine, right? It's, it's fine by me. There are many people in Telegram groups I'm in that think this is apocalyptic. But look, to, to terms of, of the decentralization and freeing yourself of the platform, there are businesses like Axie that are doing just fine with a PC and Mac game launcher and a sideloaded no, Android not. app. They actually is not doing fine, okay? <laughs> okay. Why are you characterizing as it's fine? Let me, it's sorry, not Eric, fine. Eric, let me, Believe let, me, it is not fine. Let me, let me rephrase that. There are games like Axie that have generated really significant revenue by bypassing the Play Store and the App Store, running a sideload Android app, and having their own PC and Mac game launcher. You can't deny that they've generated really significant revenues with that game without going through the major platforms. So that possibility is still there. You just have to choose that, that, whether you I want guess, the Apple I guess scale I, 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 the way you're positioning it is not the way I, what, what, what's been talked about. Like the whole... Anyway, we, I, right. I, yeah, no, I mean, we've, we've gone over this a couple times, like the utopian vision of Web3 that like the uh, early adopters have and why I believe in it are two totally different things. So like, and, don't, and, and, don't and, paint and, me and, into and, the same box as the people. No, who no, no, like, no. And, and, and when we get to the Gabe Layden thing, yeah. right, this is exactly my problem with what Gabe Layden is trying to do, right? I, I, Anyway, whatever. All right. Yeah, let's get there. Uh, okay. Hold, hold, well, hold, let's hold, do... Let me just, let, let me, let me, just pop in real quick. So. I was going to make two points. One Eric just made is that, yeah, okay, this is this is like creating a pathway for mass market adoption, right? But on the other hand, it completely invalidates the narrative, which is that we can exist in this decentralized way without a dependency on a core platform. Well, now you can't. And if platform sits, if, if Apple sits at the center of this, it's just a unique way of monetizing. No, no, no. To be fair, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's good that people can own their in-game assets. I think that's nice. That's a nice perk. That's a nice benefit. But at the same time, like you basically uh, sacrifice the entirety of the narrative for a little bit of convenience and an actual viable pathway to mass market adoption. Okay, well, okay, fine, but you got to acknowledge that. <laughs> I wouldn't characterize this a little bit, dude. We're talking about. Five billion devices out there, you know, like sure. that's not a little bit of convenience, right? That's a lot of convenience, right? And then well, um, it's the level of convenience you need to become a mass market, product. right? And then now we're talking. Actually, you actually phrased it in the right way. That I was trying to. That's what I was trying to think. It's like now we're basically talking about a different way of monetizing the audience that not only has the thirty percent tariff from Apple and all the AWS cost, but now has like the gas fees associated with crypto. It's like what the fuck? Why are we even using crypto? What, what's the point, right? The, the, the why why point? not just have ownership with AWS, right? And, and lock it in, right? Well, if we if we would have had a, a 
consumer custodial ownership of digital assets with AWS in, in a way that allows for assets to be used across different games and, and services, we would already had it by now. This no, is the, the thing that don't... people believe in. Ownership is just a belief that people hold, and they've chosen that blockchain uh, fulfills that belief. That's it. Yeah, but but all the benefits of blockchain are starting to be like, you know, the, the, torn the, away, right? The, the facade and, is starting to crack. Oh, but yeah, I think so. I'll make, I'll make one more point. So I pointed this out on, on Twitter last week. And um, I mean, I don't, well, anyway. So AppLovin launched their NFT wallet for games, right? And like, that was the curious thing about it. Cause this, cause basically, so I think this, it had been live for a couple months and it's actually really cool. I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, and oh, I, I just read your thing about it. Uh, um, hold on, let me find te- it. It's, tether, right? Tether? No, Bessel, no it's Bessel. with a V. Right. Vessel, vessel, right. Yeah. Vessel, All right. Sorry. So, so on, uh, I was working at like 1 a.m. in Tel Aviv in my two <laughs> nights there. And then my wife comes back and she turns. Prime falafel hour. Anyway. anyway Prime so falafel I, hour. But the thing is, um, so it's really interesting, actually. I think it's really well done. So what it is, is it's, it's a wallet, but it's also like a marketplace for these NFTs that you can acquire in these games. And they have these games, they have these partnerships with the other, other games that sell the NFTs. And I was thinking the whole thing, you can buy uh, you can effectively buy the NFTs as, uh, or you can buy the in-app currency, the, the 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 cryptocurrency with IAPs. And I was thinking, like, that's new. I've never seen that before. And I guess that I don't. Maybe I blew the announcement by tweeting about it, but uh, I think they maybe were the, one of the first people doing this. Which uh, Upland's yeah, it's interesting. Upland's been doing that for months. That you can buy What's on the App Store. The Upland, they you've been able okay. to buy their cryptocurrency as an IAP. Um, for months, maybe a year. Even. I see. It. I see. Okay. Well, so but but Apple Evans thing is more of just the wallet, right? So it's mm-hmm. like the centralized wallet for all these, and then you can use that the token in all these games that they've partnered with as part of the economy. But like they're the centralized, like whatever the um, uh, the the, the the platform for for buying and selling the NFTs that you acquire as well as the the currency. So anyway, I thought that was really interesting, worth pointing out, and people should check it out because it's like it's really well done. But that's Wait, that by feels the way, like the first, yeah. By the way, was Applebaum and pissed off? Like they're super snarky on their response to your. Oh, thanks for like you know, telling know. The, the project. I wasn't. What was that about? I wasn't critical of it. I literally was just pointing out that it exists, and I don't. I don't know. Maybe they were, but I don't. I wasn't trying to be a jerk about it. I was just pointing out that yeah, it exists. It was, I didn't have any opinion just, on it. It was a weird response. I guess you were trying to. I kind of scoop it. You were. I guess it sounded like you were scooping it, but then their claim was that, oh yeah, we've been doing this for a while or something, or whatever. Anyway, I guess yeah. so. Anyway, I was right. uh, anyway. App Eleven team, well done. It looks great. I'm excited to see where this goes. It's innovative. I wasn't trying to be critical. I literally just pointed out that it exists. All right, all right. Plowing it. I'll bring it. Yeah, I'll, 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 we'll, we'll save one more crypto story for the end. It'll be a fun one, but um, I oh, want too much, to. Too uh, much. No, I want to. No, this one was requested by Crest last week. Uh, But one more uh, core gaming story, and it even ties into the Netflix thing, which is the uh, Phoenix like resurgence of Cyberpunk 2077. So, from Forbes, Cyberpunk 2077 becomes Steam's top selling game 22 months after launch. And so, the quote is. The debut of Cyberpunk Edge Runners, an instantly beloved Netflix anime series, has re-sparked mass interest in the game. Millions of players are now realizing that nearly two years of after nearly two years of patches and fixes, Cyberpunk 2077 is not the widely mocked unfinished game it was at launch, and while it always has a solid core, now it's not fundamentally broken at every turn. 
Um, for many, they've decided it's time to finally jump in, and that's snowballed into some truly massive numbers. So, to me, this is like an amazing story, right? Dude, they had bullshit. Disaster- it is total bullshit. Dude, Paul Tassie knows better than this. It, but go ahead, continue. Sorry. Sorry, are you saying that the Steam concurrency numbers or sales numbers are bullshit? No, of course. It's not sales numbers, dude. It's like the same. The PC version was never broken. That was like the, the only SKU that wasn't broken, right? right. And so, like... It was a great experience. So the concurrents are going up because they put in new content, right? For the PC audience that loves the game. Well, it's also it's also it's also topping the top sales chart, the new top sales. Yeah, chart. but it's there's nothing else out, and it's like of course it's number one, right? Of course it's growing like exponentially because there's nothing else out, and it was selling shit before that, right? So what would matter is if it's selling on console, right? Like that would be. Herculean, right? If it actually had a huge uptick on console, like a million units or something, that's not happening, right? That is not happening, right? It's just the same PC audience that's playing it, you know, 120,000 concurrent or whatever the fuck it was. Irrelevant. It's not seeing a mass resurgence. It's going to well, be mice nuts. As, <laughs> as the counterpoint, I think it's an amazing story. It combines the courage to keep investing in a game after a disastrous launch, which many companies do not do. We can talk about many companies that have abandoned their games after a bad launch. Uh, Plus, it proves the transmedia story, right? Like, the sales are driven by an anime released by Netflix, right? They released an anime. People loved it. There was no game update, and it increased sales. Like, maybe that's the sort of thing Netflix is seeing that makes it think that it's worth it to make a giant investment in games, is the cross-pollination between the streaming IP, especially in their lower-cost anime division, uh, with with interactive media, I, 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 if you decouple the fact that they have a new um, patch with the new content from the anime, that would be more interesting to me. Like if it was Wasn't driven by couple, the anime, stuff, I think it was a couple weeks ago that that last update anyway, came out. Well, I, I think the timing is off, but but whatever. My point is, is that like I I agree with what you just said, right? I think the fact that they have a good, uh, actually, arguably a very good anime series is definitely helpful to build the overall franchise but they it is so they broke this thing so bad that there's no very very little chance we will ever see another cyberpunk game ever right i, I it's so damaged with the the console audience is all that matters when it comes to these type of triple a games and and they broke it they, they broke it like it's like they broke the will of the consumer right and so it's really hard to get this back and so and and the stock I mean, not to go back to the stock thing. The stock was at a hundred dollars at one point, a hundred euros. It's at like twenty, like eight. It went down to eighteen, you know. So it's spiking back up to twenty-one, right? There's about like eighty percent because they 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 fucked up. They fucked up, and there's no you. I I just don't like the way they're couching this as like this is some kind of like rebirth for the company. It's not, and for the franchise, it is not. It is really not. Um, and and. And there's a lot of coverage about this going on. That's just complete nonsense. And Paul, who I've read for a long period of time, is usually not this like, you know, rah rah rah, um, like drinking the Kool Aid crap. So I'm a, I'm a little disappointed. And, and but we'll see. Like, may, where I would be wrong if we see like 500,000 units in North America for for Cyberpunk on PS5 and Xbox three, three Xbox Series X. So. We'll see this next month and, and if they did see such a resurgence. So we'll see. All right. Whew. Can't breathe. Oh, no. Now I have to talk about Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> no time to breathe. Um, all right. Twitch. <laughs> 
How Twitch Lost the Battle for Its Soul. So evidently, this is a far more comp complicated story than I imagined. I kept, the more I d dug into it, the more, more how deep it goes, like how much drama there's going on around Twitch. So I am just going to escape the surface here. And, I, and, and the other thing I would say is that my information about Twitch is super freaking old. I mean, I had a lot of friends that went over to Twitch from different organizations. So I have some insights there. But, but the fundamental thing that happened recently that just is basically gotten everyone absolutely like devastated was they basically are taking the share of their major streamers, decreasing it from 70-30 to 50-50, right? So they were getting 70% share the way they do on YouTube and the way they do on other platforms. Um, and now they're getting 50-50. And these are for the major, uh, the major streamers. For those that make less than 100,000 a year, that, that is actually going to 70-30, okay? And so basically the reaction to this has been utterly negative, right? Because it's not competitive with the other platforms and it's pissing off like major people within their, uh, with, it, with, it, with the major streamers that make this, this Twitch so viable, right? In, in, the, in the minds of most people, right? Um, but there's, there's all kinds of other problems going on Twitch. It's like, there's like violent hate raids that are going on. Uh, the, 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 the community is all pissed off because Twitch is not really responding to these hate raids that are happening with streamers. Uh, they were basically running ads more aggressively these days and putting it at really inopportune times during Twitch streams, which, which was pissing people off. There was a gambling scandal that was allowing people like kids to see this gambling thing, content that didn't make sense. And some of the biggest names have already left, like uh, Myth and Valkyrie, which I'm such a fucking... <laughs> I'm, so, I'm such an old man. I don't know who... I think it's Valkyrie. I think she's right. Whatever. Right. Who gives a fuck, right? Like, okay. Like <laughs> the youth. The youth. The anyway. youth is who cares. Uh, <laughs> but Ryan Morrissey, the, the CEO, he's a talent agency scout guy, said basically... But there's an endless array of drama going around Twitch right now, is basically what he said, which is, I think, absolutely true based on what I'm reading, right? So to be clear, there's a number of ways to make money on Twitch, just to be clear here. So this is what the article is saying. There's ad revenue from running commercials during stream. You know, viewers can send donations. There's subscription revenue uh, where fans pay monthly fee to uh, that's split between Twitch and the streamer. And, and the overwhelming majority of streamers get 50-50 split on subscriptions. So, so... But, but now that has changed, right? So that they're only getting 30% versus 50-50 uh, before. So, uh, all right, continue. Sorry, um, I, th I think you've got that completely wrong. They oh, were getting, so 10% of the Twitch streamers, the top 10% had a special right. deal where they got 70% and Amazon right. got 30 Now everybody's on the same deal where they split it 50-50. So it wasn't that the majority, what you'd said was that the majority was getting 30 and some people were getting 50. That's that's the inverse of what's happening. The best were getting 70 and now they're getting 50. Right. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, right. You're right. That's exactly what I was trying to say, but didn't say it well. So, um, and then they say... Part of the reason, so I think Dan Dan Clancy, I think, is the CEO, right? And I and he came out and tried to like justify this change, right? And he's basically saying the hosting is really expensive; it's like a thousand dollars a month, and so they have to pay for all this stuff. And 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 I think at the end of the day, no one's believing this bullshit, right? Um, and I think and what they be believe is that the corporate guys, these guys with like these fucking spreadsheet jockeys, are are, are getting involved and, and ch making changes to the platform that they love and that they feel that they have built. Right. And basically the creator culture that they they've developed over these years 
is basically falling apart and it's replaced by spreadsheet jockeys was kind of what the article said. Okay. All right. So um, anybody, anyone who comments that I make, did I make any other mistakes? Does that all make sense to everybody? Ethan? Yeah, that all makes sense. I thought when I read it, when I read the blog post, it was very, they need to work on their messaging. Like it was yeah. very square. And it was yeah. filled with numbers and it was missing the visuals that needed to explain. Like the messaging was all wrong to their content creator community, in my opinion. And it needed to communicate the exact same messages in a much different way that didn't make it seem so yeah, right. like you could have said all the same things with making it feel like we're in this together. And that's why we're no longer giving this sweetheart deal to the special 10%, but they're the same right. as everybody right. now. And, like, and, and, I, and I think, so, so I guess what, what I was thinking was, these, this is, article was from The Verge, so I should have said that originally, which they're, they're pretty good at, at this type of coverage, generally speaking. Uh, you know. But the, the fundamental under, misunderstanding from people about Twitch is that Twitch has never made money, right? Mm -hmm. When they were acquired by Twitch, they were losing hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars a year because they were all focused on the creator, right? The, the founders were all about being creator and so the context that i know is that all my friends that went in there on a marketing side on the business side were so fucking frustrated they left after like six months because there was no pushing them to actually try to figure out how to monetize and make money on this business right and so when they were acquired by amazon this was only in 2014 so it was a long time ago um they were losing i think like 300 million dollars a year something insane like absolutely insane um and 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 so the primary reason or the one of the main reasons that Amazon is buying this shit and making games for and I've said this before in the podcast is that they want to attract this audience to Prime, right? They want to get this 18 to 44 year old nerdy demo into Prime, right? And I and what I am speculating here and I would love to be corrected on this is what happened most likely is that that type of conversion happened initially but now it's no longer happening they probably hit like a kind of a, a brick wall in terms of getting more and more people onto prime using twitch right that's my theory anyway right um and so my guess here is that they're basically continuing to hemorrhage money and basically they the powers that be are basically pushing for profitability right which makes sense from a business perspective right um and, and and the other thing i think people don't appreciate is that the business model is kind of jacked here it's kind of upside down right and, and generally if you're product is more popular, you sell more and you make more, right? In this case, if your product is more popular and your streamers are getting millions and millions of stream, it gets more and more costly because the bandwidth costs continue to rise. So it, it, it is kind of upside down. So allowing a 70-30 split with, the, with these like super streamers didn't doesn't make a lot of sense when it's costing them so much money and, and, and all the freeloaders that aren't spending a nickel, right? So, and I, of course they get incremental advertising revenue, et cetera, et cetera. But nonetheless, I, I can imagine that the model does kind of breaks when you're talking about these huge streamers. Um, and then the other thing that I, I wish they had mentioned was that YouTube in particular, right, can afford the 70-30 because they don't give a fuck, right? All they care about is, is, is pushing more people into the algorithm so that they get better advertising, right? So they make more money on the other side of it than, than, than what Twitch does. And and so they can basically subsidize the cost of all the bandwidth required to like stream these cocksuckers, right? And, and it's like part of the unfair <laughs> advantage of Google and these big fucking conglomerates, right? Um, so again, my information is a bit old on this. I would love to anybody to correct me and to tell me like what's really going on behind the scenes. But my sense is that look, it got too costly to run these huge streamers. They did the cost benefit of analysis and they said, look, 
it makes sense to have a gajillion small streamers rather than these absolutely massive, you know, uh, super streamers. And so it was literally, it was a spreadsheet job yeah. that most likely I mean, made this decision. I yeah. mean, my so, guess is, is when big names like Ninja or Shroud or Valkyrie moved to other platforms, that actually gave them a natural experiment where they learned, hey, our platform is super sticky because it's better than the other ones, right? That was part of the argument in, in the Verge article that I quite liked. And they're saying like, we can afford to lose our biggest name streamers because our platform is sticky. And, and yes, some of the audience follows them, but they don't leave Twitch forever. So I think they made, they probably had some natural experiments because of the competition and that allowed them to do the analysis and say, you know what? We can. We were already deprecating this sweetheart deal, and we can just get rid of it completely. All right. Um, final. Final. Uh, as Crypto requested corner. by Eric Kress, I wanted to explain what's going on with XMZ boss Gabe Layden and his new startup Limit Break. And I have to say, I know Gabe listens to the podcast, and I know that many of our Slack members message me. I, I've gotten at least three messages in, in the past week or so asking when we're going to interview Gabe. So uh, try, trying to make that happen. Um, but I wanted to talk about Limit Break and I have to give a financial uh, disclaimer at the, fir- at the top. I hold NFT assets in the Digi Daigaku project um, and everything I say is purely informational <laughs> and entertaining commentary and this is not financial advice. Uh, so with that out of the way. So the who... Gabe Layden, uh, if you're not familiar, he's the ex-founder and CEO of Machine Zone. He's a true free-to-play pioneer. And I have to say that as a fellow monetization-focused game designer, I have a lot of respect for Gabe. I mean, sometimes I find his rhetoric a a little boastful, but uh, I respect his skills and what he's done. And I've learned a lot from his games and his company's games. A lot of lessons from Game of War and Mobile Strike, and and they actually inform... um, what I'm doing right now in, in a bit of an unexpected way. But so Gabe, along with the former CTO of Machine Zone and 38 folks, mostly ex-Machine Zone, have formed a new Web3 game studio called Limit Break. Uh, the reason we're talking about it is they made headlines when they announced their $200 million raise. Um, and I listened to a podcast uh, interview of Gabe recently, and he said, you know, he was really inspired by Mark Pincus and his strategy around blitzscaling Zynga. And so, like I do, Gabe believes in the Web3 future of gaming. And he said, you know, I wasn't aggressive enough in the Facebook days. And then the, the started to be in the mobile days. I was scared of Mark Pincus. And now I'm going to do what he did. I'm going to outraise everyone. I'm going to outbuild everyone. And I'm going to win this space. That's kind of his uh, attitude on it. What they've done so far, they've re- released their first NFT collection, DigiDaigaku, uh, 2022 NFTs, using a strategy that Gabe is branding as free-to-own. It is Gabe's opinion that free-to-own has killed free-to-play, right? He's like, it's over. It's already over. That's, you know, he's got a very uh, kind of uh, boastful uh, attitude that's, that's entertaining for sure. And and he'll admit, he admits he didn't invent free-to-own that it's a very uh, well-thought-out branding push on his behalf. Um, and like I said, I got a DigiDaigaku for free. I, I followed them on Twitter. I set an alarm. I was there in line. I've got my DigiDaigaku Genesis NFT. Cost me like 40 cents in gas fees. Uh, since then, I was airdropped another NFT, which I've now burned to get a Royal Bloodline Hero NFT. So combined, 
uh, right now the the floor value on the two NFTs that I've gotten for free is about 20.5 ETH or about $27,000 at the time of this writing. And all I did was like follow a Twitter feed at the right time and get lucky. So what's interesting about this from a business perspective is that uh, in my mind, all they're running so far is a marketing campaign. This is just the marketing campaign for their eventual game that they're building. They're building community awareness, headlines, Twitter following, Discord following. Um, because of the nature of NFTs and the royalty rate, they've set the royalty rate on all their projects at 10%, which is the highest allowed on OpenSea. So they've earned, based on the trading volume of these three projects, about 1,610 ETH in royalty which at today's price would be a little over $2 million in pre-sale revenue. So they didn't do the giant alluvium $72 million land sale. They for that, you know, instead of doing a big pre-sale, which probably wouldn't work in the current market, they gave away the assets for free in order to build their community, generate hype. And it has this nice added benefit of generating revenue on the secondary sales. Um, so my take is that they're laying the groundwork for a massive game launch. They have the money and the experience to build it and market it. They know how to spend $50 million a month marketing if they need to. And so far, this looks like a very innovative and successful grassroots marketing campaign, right? Gabe and co made better use of their GamesBeat profile piece than the majority of companies that get a GamesBeat profile piece when they did a raise, right? They turned it into a true marketing event. Uh, they're building audience, notoriety, positive consumer sentiment. And uh, I don't know. I, I think what they're doing is very clever. And uh, they're kind of paving the way for uh, a successful Web3 game launch in the future. Oh. <laughs> I obviously completely disagree with everything you just said. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. How exactly does a $27,000 NFT bring crypto to the masses, right? You got to listen to this podcast. He's talking about, oh, well, this, you know, giveaway shit is going to bring hundreds of millions of people into the ecosystem, right? No, this seems like more of the fucking same, you know? This is, like, who do you think has gotten involved within this, 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 this latest, you know, like boondoggle, right, in crypto, right? It's the same crypto bows that are playing Axie and collecting NFTs and all this other stuff, you know? You're buying assets without a game or a mechanism to sell it, right? Or a mechanism to use it, right? I mean, again, this continues like the pure speculation that is, uh, you know, these blockchain, you know, NFT assets. It doesn't bring NFT and blockchain to the masses or yeah. to a broader audience even. It's the no, same I, people. I, I agree. Right? Well, so I I get that you're I, right, but, but, but I would say that MZ didn't bring free-to-play gaming to the masses, right? I mean, if you look at the MZ games, they're very niche. I mean, they weren't huge, you know, mass market games. I I would say, like, I this is, like, a much higher profile version of what we've seen before. It's better funded, and there's a, a veteran gaming team behind it. But I'll get excited when there's real players and real revenues, and it's not, you know, NFT appreciation. And based on speculation, no, and, that's and, when I'll get excited. Yeah, and in his defense, I, I actually listened to the podcast. I, I can't find seem to find it the feed, but like the um, invest like the best podcast. Yeah, I, that guy that guy does a great podcast. By the way, I'm impressed. And and you you listen to him for yourself and see what he he's promising with 
like you know give stuff away for free and he's saying it uh, eth eth will bring gaming will bring eth to a billion gamers around the world right that right, eth will right. allow for transactions of super whales you know of tens of thousands or millions of dollars <laughs> in individual transactions that's what it uh, yeah. that's uh, what excites I, 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 gabe I, like the ability to better cater to the whales that made game of war a billion dollar a year game. See, the thing is, I agree with the latter. I just don't agree with the former. I think right. we'll always be in this latter category for the next like fifteen years, you know. But whatever. I, I, I we'll see. We'll see. But I, but what I'm trying to say is that this is perpetuating the same speculation and niche market that we're talking about by offering this stuff for free for the super core guys that are super involved and engaged. This, again, so far has not. In, in, increase the, the the tam at all right it's yeah i, you know, I agree with you completely i i would view this current phase as an exercise in building a new type of golden cohort not one that is going to be your biggest spenders over the lifetime but your cohort that's going to be your biggest advocates and meme lords like if you look at what they're doing on twitter and discord they're being very very uh diligent and specific about trying to turn their early following into a meme generating army for this thing right this is this is a marketing play and they're trying to make an army of meme lords to help make digidaigaku uh, awareness through the roof and i think the mass market part is going to come when the game is live and playable and you have people who know how to spend 10 to 50 million dollars of money <laughs> in marketing a month like marketing the crap out of it no, I, I, I'll disagree with that too. But, but what, what, what I, the other point you have to make is the guy raised $200 million yeah. with nothing, right? I mean, that is a fucking shit ton of money. Like that doesn't happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, hats off. You got to give him credit, right? Like that's amazing, right? Amazing, amazing, right? So he's going to get, he's got the best crack at it, right? Like, I mean, yeah. uh, let's see what happens, right? But it's going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, uh, $200 million is Insane. Yeah, as, um, as so. someone who's quite literally trying to compete with them, I'm scared. Like his tactic, which is I'm going to be Mark Pincus, I'm going to outraise and I'm going to outbuild everyone. And anyone who wants to run at this space better join me instead of competing with me. Like I, me I, in my little I, tiny room I, with my podcast I, set up, I'm like, how am I going to compete with Limit Break? He's got 40 I, people already. I'm one dinky person. What the fuck am I going to do? But the honest truth, though, the Pincus story didn't end well. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know why he's using that as a comp, right? Like, that, that, yeah. It ended well for it, it ended well for Pincus. I'll give him that. But it didn't end well for everyone else. <laughs> Shareholders, employees. Like, it was a disaster, right? Disaster. Dude, they went public and it just got fucking destroyed, right? Anyway, all right. Do you uh, think... That's, that's uh, all yeah. Story. Ah, no, right. I'm not... We're, we're over already. I'm not going to non-sequitur us. But well, uh, good, Eric, do you to, feel... Do you feel like I've done an adequate job explaining Limit Break? Do you know more now than you did before? No, I uh, no, I uh, you did a great <laughs> job. Actually, what? your entire coverage was relatively balanced, except for the Apple thing, which is completely contrarian to everything that I've heard about crypto for the last two years. So, uh, yeah, good luck with that. Um, uh, but but. <laughs> I'm just going to, I need an audio clip of that to like play whenever I say something I think is smart. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's good to have everyone back. We'll see you guys next week. Um, and then we see you next week. Let's be prepared. Let's be prepared to talk about the metaverse. Let's do oh, it. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. I'm downloading now. All right. All right. See you. Later, guys.
Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.